Welcome to After Hours, presented by Afternoon Analytics. I'm your host, Ryan Hain, and I'm joined by co-founder Austin Street Matter. Austin is a recent hire of the Minnesota Vikings as a data and analytics associate. And in today's episode, we're going to talk about entering the sports business after college and the advice Austin can offer. Whether you're a student looking to break into the industry or a seasoned professional looking to stay ahead of the curve, this episode is for you. So sit back, relax, and let's dive into After Hours. So Austin, how are you doing today? Fantastic. Very excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. Uh, so my first question today is, could you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into the field of data analytics in sports? Yeah. So starting background, I have to tell you a little bit about my life before like, becoming a student. Um, I grew up with an older brother and younger brother, and we played sports pretty much all the time and everything that we could do. Um, and then in 2011, in 2009 to 2011, had some medical stuff that sort of pushed me off the field um, and sort of fell in love with like the like, support side, I guess you would call it, of sports. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of pushed me back into, I've always been a math and numbers guy, and so that was awesome. Um, and so didn't really do anything with that. Just like was a basic math nerd throughout all of high school. Um, and then sort of senior year figured out that like this sports analytics field um, was becoming a thing, whether that was performance or um, what I'm doing, which is more business side. So sort of discovered that as a thing. Um, let me to Stanford University, which is where I am now. I graduated from in April, but sort of, like the uh, sort of the combination of something I loved in sports, was in the outside loved in math and sort of figuring out problems and problem solving coming together is how I found sports analytics and where I am today. Yeah, and uh, was there like an exact moment where you knew, um, uh, like this is the field for me? Uh, I would like to say that there was, but there probably wasn't. It was more so just like, you know, I sat in front of my TV a lot as a child because that's what I did. Um, I just watched a lot of sports and the stats were always something super interesting to me. And so being able to sort of be involved in that and like learn from people and learn from others about what is data, how does it dictate us? Like we all produce data every day, whether we want to or not. And it's real stuff. So. That sort of was when I figured it out, but I wouldn't say it was a moment. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, our next question is, how do you see the role of data analytics in sports evolving in the coming years? Yeah. So I think that we're sort of, I don't want to say we're behind the curve, but there's sort of been like the, the data revolution um, since we've been in college over the past four or five years, where teams are starting to understand the importance of using their data, analyzing their data, knowing that it's being created, and if they're not, they're falling behind. And so I think that people, especially in sports, but sort of in every aspect of business, are beginning to understand the need for some data guy. Because I know that I'm not, I'm, I'm not the best salesperson, and I know that some salespeople I've worked with are not the best data people. But when you sort of combine the two, and this is a really basic example, but when you give a salesperson a really good data guy, 
when you would that a guy, a really good salesperson, you make a lot of money just in that the salesperson gets better information to give to their clients and the data person is able to work better with the data that is being produced from more clients and is doing their job well without having the extra need to work on sales pitches and work on figuring out clients and prospecting and the things that come with being a salesperson. Yeah. Um, I think kind of a, a good segue into the sex question would be, uh, so, um, like what, what are the most important skills, uh, for someone, uh, working in data analytics and sports to have, like, what are things that, um, you may have seen in yourself or like, uh, in your colleagues? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this is going to be a basic answer. I apologize to anyone listening, but it's 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 the truth is that you have to be able to solve problems creatively. Um, that's the number one thing. It doesn't matter how skilled you are at a certain program or how skilled you are at making a visual or a graph. If you can't creatively solve a problem or get from point A to point B, you're you're going to fail just because data comes in all different ways. Sourcing is different, flow is different. Um, just the data itself is different. And with the, my team at Stanford, we work with so many different kinds of data from heart rate data to actual game data, like points per game, um, to like force produced in the weight room. That's all so different. And so being able to sort of effectively and creatively figure out how does this all group together is crucial. And then probably the second most important thing is you have to be a really strong communicator. We often sort of put data people or spreadsheet nerds as a self-titled name um, in this bubble of being people who like want to hide and like, never talk to anyone. And while at times that may be true because I do enjoy working till the wee hours in the morning because I don't talk to anyone, um, like the best data people are excellent communicators because we know that we're talking to people who don't understand the data in and out like we do. And if I walked into a meeting and started presenting this project I've been working on in my spare time about consumer profiles of people who are visiting Sanford Games to someone who doesn't understand anything what I'm talking about, I've lost all my credibility. It's just completely gone out the window. It doesn't matter if I'm one of the best data analysts in the country, like if they don't know what I'm talking about, it's pointless because mm -hmm. the insights that are in my brain are not going to theirs and that's a problem. And so I think probably looking at creative problem solving to figure out how to get from point A to point B and how to get from point A to point B when you're a block in the middle is crucial. But then also being able to communicate thought process, communicate insight, talk with the people who you're working with to mind meld thoughts but also sort of understand what your end user wants the most is critically important yeah are there any like uh tips and tricks you've uh picked up in your young career that have helped you become a better communicator um i think the number one thing is you gotta just talk to different people so as as you know and as you can imagine as a listener like as a college student you go through four years of classes, all different classes, many different people and different professors. I've had a repeat professor three times during my time at Stanford total. Um, and so it's, or four actually, sorry. Um, but like that's four classes total over my 
four years here that I've had the same professor. So you're learning how to communicate differently with different professors, different materials, and then looking at like peer to peer, you class with different people. And like, yes, it's a small business school. I'm going to have the same classes with the same people. But I mean, yeah. like, we still have different majors, different ways of communication. You and I talk very differently. Myself and my friends communicate differently. And then, like, I know people who are over in the health science building. When they talk their health science language, it sounds like French. But I know that I, at the same point, that's the same thing as like me talking about sitting at, co- sitting at home writing a script for a project I'm working on. They don't know what I'm talking about. And so I, even just talking about, like, hey, what are you doing today? Oh, I'm writing this code for this project. And then sort of diving into, like, what does that look like with someone who doesn't speak that language? on a peer-to-peer level, it helps you practice that communication and then just basically talking to anyone in every room, whether they're above you, beside you, or below you, really has helped me at this point. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, something else uh, kind of still under this vein of communication is um, something you kind of mentioned earlier and like uh, is kind of a, um, a thing with data analytics uh, is kind of you have like the the old kind of school of thought with traditional like scouting methods, uh, but mm-hmm. then you also have like you know the money ball crowd. Um, I think I know which one you align with more, but uh, what um, would you say is something you've kind of seen as someone who's like in Gen Z um, to kind of use that as a strength, like to communicate to maybe some older generations about data and like, how do you see um, that kind of like evolving of your career? Like, again, like being Gen Z and like dealing with uh, whenever the younger generation um, comes of age and then millennials, Gen X and beyond. So. Yeah. So if I'm understanding the question correctly, you're talking about yeah, sort of a like how, there you go. Sort of how like old school thought makes it with new school thought and how do you communicate to people who don't really want to listen to what you have to say is what I think you're yeah. sort of asking. Um, so I think first and foremost, um, like you have to understand that you're going to be rejected and people aren't going yeah. to listen to you. And so um, it's understanding that like when I came into Project Samson here at Stanford, which is our sports performance um initiative to use data analytics to improve our athletes. Um, I was some random sophomore from Tampa who none of these coaches had ever seen or heard of. And so I was lucky that, you know, they, they really were sort of wanting data, wanting people to do it and just didn't know how to do it. So that became a plus, but it was sort of the idea of like, you have to build as your dad talks about all the time, like, you have to build relational credibility before you can start pushing ideas. And so that meant I'd go sit in the weight room for nine hours a week because I needed to be friends with the people that I was talking to so they didn't even have a chance to listen to me because I knew that yeah. if I was able to do that first, then when I come to bring a new point or a new idea, they'd understand they listen better. I think it's come to the point now where I don't want to say I have full range because I don't, but I'll walk into the weight room and say, hey, it's the project I'm thinking about. 
and the coach goes, I'm thinking the same thing, we're on the same page, let's go. And that happens in five minutes instead of, you know, a lot of time. And so when you look at sort of old school versus new school combining, like, there's aspects of the old school that, like, aren't going to go. Like, you look at baseball, we're talking about the whole, like, money ball. Like, he gets on base style of thought, yeah. which is, like, true. Like, get on base, like, nobody leads to more wins. But, like, we've also sort of figured out that, like, if you hit home runs, you also win games. And so it's where yeah. you find the mix of, like, the old school, like, get people on base is great because, like, you can chance to throw more runs. But if you combine getting people on base and hitting home runs, well, now you have this lethal combo of instead of having a one-run home run, you have potentially two or three-run home run as you have people getting on base before you have your big hitters come up. And so, mm-hmm. while I don't think new schools should absolutely, and do not hear me say new schools should take over old school, I think it's the integration of the two styles of thoughts that becomes crucial. Like, I mean... We've seen the death of the running back in the NFL over the past 10-ish years, where in 2005, 6, and 7, you'd see Sean Alexander with 300-plus carries over three years, like 300 each year. Mm-hmm. And then this year, you know, you have the Jonathan Taylor, who's been hurt, but like last year, I don't, I don't know if he even broke 250. Um, but it's the point that like the positions change over time as people change over time. And so new school normally comes from people who've been watching the current state of the game. Um, and while they're not coaching, like, for me, to, for me, there's no pressure to fail when I'm watching a game. Uh, I can test mm-hmm. the theory and go try and figure it out. And, like, I'm not coaching. Now, like, now I could get fired. But, like, you know, as a senior in college, I can watch a college football game, see what happened. And I'm like, oh, this team passed for more yards than these guys. Like, they did it on fewer attempts. How does that dictate a game? And I go, look at that, test that theory. I, no one's going to walk up to me and go, you test this theory, you're fired. So like, there's mm-hmm. more freedom to sort of expand on the wild ideas of maybe this will work, maybe this will work when you're not in the job yeah. that the old school style of thought doesn't have because like, they, they could be fired right there. But you can't really be fired yeah. from a job you don't have as a college student. So you're just making me think of moneyball plot lines, but uh that was a great answer. Um <laughs> so uh what advice would you give to someone looking to break into the sports business, particularly in the area of data analytics? You've already given a lot of uh great advice, but like kind of that specific, like uh someone who may be like a freshman entering college or uh, you know, someone who's for the first time really considering working in sports, like what advice would you give uh, someone like that? Yeah. So I think first and foremost, um, like I was a freshman one time. I was someone looking to bring into the sports industry. Um, and for most people in the sports industry, they also were in their shoes at one point. Um, some are a little bit more removed than like, you know, graduating last year that I, I interviewed with associates at the Vikings program and they were like, when you're in a college. Um, so they were literally in my shoes last year. Um, and then, you know, there's other people at other jobs I applied for who were a little bit more, I had more experience in the field. And so it's sort of remembering that like 
people are there who've been in your shoes. No one, no one really comes into the sports world having never wanted to do anything with sports in their life. Like this is a habit. Um, Mm-hmm. So it's sort of the idea of like, like, don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to talk to someone. Reach out to someone on LinkedIn. Say, hey, what's going on here? Like, get connected. Which sounds scary, but like, people were in your shoes at one point. And look at where they are now. They're most of the mm-hmm. time they're willing to help you, even if it's just, hey, I'm not the right person for this. Talk to this person about it. I think um, oh, I got to remember this part because I just had it in my head. Um, Oh, secondly, and this is sort of a harsh one, like you're not going to get a job in sports because you like sports and you played sports your whole life. Yep. Like that's, that, that's not how that works. The only way that it really works is if you're like a top athlete and then you, you're an athlete. You're not working in sports really. Um, so you sort of have to find your niche and what makes you great. I, I'm a daddy guy. That's my niche. So when I go into interviews and they say, why do you want to work in sports? My answer is not because I love sports. Because that's yeah, every a lot single of people person like sports. trying to get into the sports industry. Yeah, like that. my dad likes sports. He's not in the sports industry. My brother likes, older brother likes sports. He's not in the sports industry. My younger brother does as well. Like People like sports. That, with all due respect, that does not make you unique. It, it just doesn't. Mm-hmm. So find out what about sports interests you for me it is absolutely absurd and like i've seen this especially in your life as you know the falcons have had some ups and downs lately and like, you've seen it in mine with the uh, with the lightning uh winning two stanley cups during my time in college like we get emotionally attached to teams that we have no reason to be attached to like yeah. yes the lightning play in my hometown but probably one of the best days of my life has been when we won the Sydney Cup and I was in the building for it. Like, that was awesome. And I know for you, like, one of the best days was, like, watching the Braves in the World Series. But, like, the other end of that spectrum is you have moments where, like, we probably, the Bucks probably should have won the Super Bowl two years ago when the Rams won it. And we blew a coverage to Cooper Cup that gave up a game-winning fuel. And then the Rams won the Super Bowl. So, like, we were one play away from probably winning the Super Bowl. That sucks. Yeah, that well, you don't really need like, to lecture was, Falcons yeah. fan on that. But. <laughs> yeah, but, like, I mean, you can see, like, like with the way that I follow, yeah. like, Indiana basketball. Like, you know I'm having a bad day if Indiana loses. And you know I'm having a really good yeah. day when they win. And so, like, I mean, when we lost to Miami, I was, the first time, um, I was very upset. So it was a terrible day. So, mm-hmm. like, for me, getting back to the question, because I can ramble about this for probably the next two and a half hours. Like for me, it's the anomaly that sports is that brings people together who have no reason to ever know each other and no reason to ever see each other again. Brings them together to create a unique experience. We had like go to any game, you sit this close to someone. Um, and then you sure go, you turn around and high five them. I had no idea who the person I just high fived is, but like, I feel totally okay high fiving that person because we just scored a goal. Like, you're not going to walk down the street yeah. and high five some random person just because you feel happy. Like, that, like, that's the anomaly of sports. So, for me, that's why I want to work in sports. 
that's what makes me unique. It's sort of figuring out how do you create those moments for people that are tied to such emotion that sports brings. Um, I think a third piece of advice, if I'm allowed to keep going here, you can cut me off. Yeah, if I'm no, not, keep going, please. Um, is like the sports world doesn't come to you. You kind of have to go get it. And so that means like if you, if you want to hone a skill, like I wanted to hone my spreadsheet skills and then my R skills. Um, and I was like, screw it. I'm going to make an NFL betting model. Did I know what I was doing? No, not a clue. Did not know what the heck was going on. I was like, well, I know somewhat about football. Like, we, we can do this. And so I looked on the internet about stuff, read about stuff, and then started doing it in Excel, pulling vehicle formulas, pulling matching names, pulling stuff like this, where I was working on my skills through a project that I loved. So it didn't feel like work. Mm -hmm. Then we convert that to R, and I completely changed it. That happened to be for a school project, but I would have done it anyways because, like, that was yeah. an opportunity where I knew what I needed to do to get the job done. And so, like, going back to my first point, anytime I had a question, someone else had encountered that problem on Google already. Like, anytime yeah. I had any issue, it was just. The hardest part, I tell people this all the time, the hardest part of learning spreadsheets is how do I get the question that's up here onto Word so Google gives me the right answer back. Like, yeah. just find a project you love, go do it, and if you, like, you're not going to know everything. We we talk about, this, I guess is point four, um, is like the learning curve of life goes up and then comes back down and then goes back up where you know nothing, you think you know a whole lot, you begin to realize what you don't know, and then you start to like learn more stuff and become like competent. And so like, you're going to be discouraged. There's going to be moments where you go, I'm not qualified for this. When I apply, I'll tell you the story of how I applied for this Viking job really quick. I was laying in bed, yeah. bored, scrolling on LinkedIn, found the job, and I was like, well, I guess I'll apply this. This would be cool. I applied to it, and I was like, well, I don't mean any of these qualifications because I thought I didn't because they wanted stuff. And I was like, this is not me, but I'm going to apply to it and just see what happens. And then they sent me an email that said, hey, we want you to answer these questions to come back to the first round. And I was like, okay, this is a funny joke. Like, oh, this is... <laughs> three pages of questions like i don't have to like, i gotta find time for this and i kept putting it off because i didn't think i was going to get the job and then i answered the questions and they emailed me back and said hey you want to come in for a phone interview and i was like all right like they like me a little bit at least i might have a shot here um went in for the mm -hmm. phone interview prepped for that as i normally would thought i did okay and thought oh at least I have some interview practice. This is the end of the road. Like, it was fun while it lasted. And then they emailed me and said they wanted to have another interview. And so I interviewed again and thought, oh, this will be more interview practice. This is a group interview. I've never done one of those. I maybe I'll get the job. Left that interview feeling pretty good about where I stood. Um, and then, like, two days later, I was waiting for the phone call. And like, you were sitting next to me on the couch when they called. And I picked up the phone, and in my head, I was like, like, ah, can I actually call my parents and tell them that I didn't get the job? And then I got the job. 
So no, at no point, yeah. no point in the entire process was I like, I feel confident about where I am. And that might just be a me thing, but like, you're coming out of college, you're not going to know everything. That's why you're coming out of college. Like, you're not going to have four years of experience. You're not going to have a master's or a PhD in the fields. Like, they, the sports team, sports properties know that. They're not looking for you to be perfect. They're looking for you to come in and do your job and do it well. And the Vikings saw mm-hmm. something in me that I guess I didn't see myself, but I do now because now they're giving me an absurd amount of confidence. Um, but it's for the idea of like, you're going to get knocked down. You're going to have projects that like don't work. My first NFL model predicted at a 40% success rate, which is worse than flipping a coin. Like, mm-hmm. oh, well, you can either pout about it or you can sort of dive into the problem solving as we talked about and figure out what happened and try and make it better. So I think that's probably yeah. the four points, four or five points I would give as advice. And that was a really long-winded answer, but I'm passionate about this. So, No, it was a great answer. Um, well, that's all uh, we have for today. Um, I appreciate it again, Austin. Thanks for joining me, uh, giving great answers. Of course. Um, and uh, we will see you soon. Thanks for listening to After Hours. Thanks.